what a hard act to follow, right? <laughs> and it does not work out for the guy who has to come after him, who's John Adams. John Adams is from Massachusetts. He is not um, a highly wealthy man. Uh, you know, Washington had huge plantation of slaves and had inherited all of this money from his wife and also from people who conveniently died. Um, by the way, I'm not suggesting that George Washington had anything to do with their deaths. It was just very convenient. Um, John Adams is from, he's a lawyer from Boston. He's n known for being very prickly. It like stuff gets under his skin. Um, he became famous because he defended the British soldiers who shot Americans in the Boston Massacre. Um, and that made him some enemies within like the radicals, including his own cousin Samuel Adams. Um, but it also gave him a certain level of cred. And he got sent to the Continental Congress for that reason. But he was impatient and he had no time for these sort of gentlemanly pleasantries that were so important for people like Washington and Jefferson. And that made him some enemies um, at a lot of points. And um, Explain why he defended the British. He was asked by the governor to do it. Um, it's the Boston Massacre, so it was like a protest that got out of hand. Uh, it where, you know, and if you look at the Paul Revere drawing of it, it looks like the British just walked in and shot them out of nowhere. But the truth is it was more like the kind of situations that you'd see in like Ferguson or Palestine, where you have people throwing rocks at highly armed troops, uh, or at the very least we know they were throwing ice. And you know, trying to engage, really feeling angry about at that time the Stamp Act, which was like one of these taxes that Bostonians were way more pissed off about than the rest of the country because they were so driven by trade, right? Um, and they opened fire, and we don't know exactly how that happened, but people were killed, and there was a sense among the British that they couldn't get a fair trial in Boston, so that they should take them back to England for trial. And that made Americans really mad, because it was a suggestion of, well, you don't trust us, and you don't trust our legal system, and so we are, sec you know, you've said we're citizens of Britain, like, shouldn't we be able to have a trial right here? And so they asked John Adams to do it, and in part, what he was trying to prove was you can get a fair trial here in America. And he succeeded in, um, in defending these soldiers. Uh, and then the British immediately after that still passed a rule that said that all future trials were going to happen in England. And I think that really pissed off this guy who took things really personally because mm -hmm. he was like, you don't, you put me through that and now it's for nothing. And then he became one of the leaders of the revolution. And he ultimately, he and Thomas Jefferson wrote um, the Declaration of Independence together. And their relationship is so interesting because now in the first administration after Washington, we get the first incredible political feud. And it's between Adams and Jefferson, although truly it's between Hamilton and Jefferson to some extent. And Adams is kind of, Adams isn't like a political genius. He got to be vice president under George Washington in part because he was from Massachusetts and well-respected. And Washington was from Virginia and that would help tie the country together. Um, and also because he was kind of prickly and not good at like building coalitions, there's an extent to which that made him seem outside of the fights. But he was so unprepared to be president. And that came out when people started attacking him in a way that they never would have attacked Washington. Because Adams doesn't have this Washington thing going on. He's not the first president. And so newspapers in America start going after him 
big time. And these are newspapers that are aligned with Jefferson. And they call him fat, and they say that he is, you know, prickly and vindictive, and all these things are true. Um, he's pretty fat. Did people vote for him? How did he become president? Oh, the way that you become president is that uh, the Electoral College chooses you. And today we view the Electoral College as this like weird, annoying system of points that doesn't really make sense. But originally, the way the Electoral College worked was based around the idea that ordinary people should never pick the president. And so the Electoral College was actually just a group of the smartest, whitest, richest, malest people that you could find who would get together and talk and pick the president. I think and it was sort of like the conclave for the Pope, right? Why did they choose John Adams then? Um, he, he, that's a good question. Um, he was the vice president already, and that was seen as like a, uh, he was Washington's vice president, and he had the support of New England, and I think um, Jefferson came in second. Um, I should look at exactly how it played out, but I think, I think the South wasn't quite as unified as the North at this time, and so Adams was able to pull it off. Um, but of course, the weird rule in the Constitution at the time, which they got rid of immediately after this, was that if you become if you come in second, you become vice president. So Adams, the guy he just beat, became vice president. Adams is president. Jefferson is vice president. And it's, this is I, I love this time period. We'll we'll get moving faster when we get a little later because part of what makes this time period so interesting is it's like these guys all went to college together. And now they're the ones like fighting with each other. Adams and Jefferson literally were locked in a room and wrote the Declaration of Independence. And now they're in such a serious fight with each other that Adams has his party pass some of the most heinous limits on freedom of speech that have ever happened in the United States, the Alien and Sedition Acts. The Alien and Sedition Acts were aimed in part at that exact same group of scary French people who were coming over trying to create a revolt. And if you thought that was bad under Washington, imagine what it's like now under Adams. And we're starting to get closer to uh, time-wise. Time we're not quite to Napoleon, but we're getting close to that period. So it's like the French Revolution is becoming clearly very violent and it's starting to become more dictatorial. So one of those things was the Alien Act said you can throw out French people from the country if the president thinks that they're dangerous, right? There's some interesting clear parallels to what, what the world we live in now. Um, and of course, and that goes after, and oh, also interesting here, Adam's first ambassador to Britain, Jefferson, first ambassador to France. So they're also aligned really nicely with these two sides. The Sedition Act said that anybody who said bad things about the president could be put in prison. And that clearly violated the First Amendment. Um, but Adams had control of Congress, and he passed these. And the people who were sent to jail were editors of newspapers who supported Jefferson, who is also the vice president. It's a crazy situation, right? And eventually Jefferson uh, resigns as vice president and basically goes to get to work to defeat Adams the next time around. But it, one of the things that he does um, is that he and his sidekick, James Madison, um, write these things called the Kentucky and Virginia Resolutions. And the Kentucky and Virginia Resolutions basically say, if states think that laws are unconstitutional, they just don't have to follow them. And they said the Alien and Sedition Acts are clearly unconstitutional, which, for the record, they were. Um, but the claim that a state can just choose not to follow a law that they think is unconstitutional, rather than like waiting for the Supreme Court to figure it out, is a time bomb 
that you could argue eventually blows up in the Civil War, right? And by the end of the administration, Adams is incredibly unpopular, and Jefferson wins the election pretty clearly. And Adams isn't even a competitor. It ends up being Jefferson against Aaron Burr, uh, who we'll come back to. But um, there's then this first period where you're about to hand over power from one party to another. You know, Washington handing over to Adams wasn't that big of a deal. But Adams handing over to Jefferson is a huge deal. And to some extent, we can say it's great. They actually allowed it to happen. They didn't kill each other. But man, Adams tried in the last few hours of his presidency to do everything he could to like set it up to make it hard for Jefferson. Specifically, he created all of these new positions and then he filled them with Federalists. There was a group of judges who were called the Midnight Judges who Adams created and then nominated people to. And then there were just all sorts of little offices. And literally, Till the moment that Jefferson's going to walk in, he is in his office signing these on paper and like sending them out, like get them out, get them out, get them out. And there are a few that end up in his desk and don't get sent. And that leads to the first great Supreme Court case, which is Marbury versus Madison. And in that case, basically what happens is the Jefferson team comes in and they say, hey, do we actually have to deliver these letters that you signed but didn't deliver? And uh, they basically say, we're not going to do it. And then they sue, the person who was supposed to get that job sues, and they go to the Supreme Court. And they say, like, you're, it's your job as the new president to continue to carry out the work of the old president, even if you didn't agree with it. And the, eventually, the, the ruling is basically that they don't have to do that. Um, but it also is this moment where the Supreme Court says, and the reason that you don't have to do this is because the laws that created this whole system of judges were unconstitutional. And that decision, even though they get their way in terms of they don't have to deliver some of these pieces of paper that were lying around in the desk, that decision is also a really strong response to the Kentucky and Virginia resolutions. Because what it says is, no, the Supreme Court gets to decide what's constitutional or not. The core of it is this, who can force who to do what, mm -hmm. right? And in a country as big and complicated as the United States, and it's getting bigger and more complicated every year, um, especially in this time period, there's a lot of really, really deep disputes. And, you know, war is politics by other means. Um, and if politics fails, you'll have civil war. And there really are moments in this early time period when it feels like the country might get torn apart into civil war. Um, and so the question of who gets to decide these really tough decisions and when do people actually give in to them is not an academic question. It's a really serious question.